This episode of Up for Discussion is brought to you in part by Moonbase Theta Out, a 2020 Webby Award-nominated queer sci-fi drama set in 2098 on the last active Moonbase as the comms lead tries to hold things together to get home to his husband on Earth. They're well into their third season with lots of good feels and tardigrades. And you might even hear my voice on a couple episodes. Listen to Moonbase Theta Out wherever you get your podcasts or at monkeymanproductions.com. This episode of the Up for Discussion podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences by keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane, bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks. Go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And that's Whiskey the Canadian way, without an E. I hope you understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. Hey everybody, welcome to Up for Discussions review of Tournament of Champions Season 2. This is our fourth episode of this. It is the uh, second heat, I guess, of the first round matchups. Is that how you talk about sports? I don't know. I'm Tom Zalat and I... Uh, I'm Matt Cole and that's not how you talk about sports. You're close, but not quite there. <laughs> We're joined today by a very special guest who may or may not know more about sports than we do. We're going to let our special guest Amanda introduce herself. And I'm Amanda McLaughlin. I am a huge fan of Food Network um, and a podcaster and just fully did that thing where I cold emailed you and was like, hey, would you could you have a guest maybe, please? Because <laughs> I am so excited for this. I am more excited for this podcast than any podcast I've ever done because you guys are great and I like the show, but also I've never gotten a chance to talk about Food Network on a podcast. And it's just like my whole life has been building up to this moment. <laughs> I love that. You've checked the only two boxes required to be on this podcast, which is know how to podcast and love Food Network. Excellent. I love it. When I got your email, I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, first off, somebody I've never met before has heard one of my shows. And secondly, <laughs> they're excited about being on my show. <laughs> yeah, I am I am so into it. But I, I also wanted to know, how did you guys get into Food Network? What is your origin story? Yeah, well, that's funny. I, I was thinking about that last night while watching this episode because I my earliest memories of Food Network are watching Kat Cora on Iron Chef. So it was such a, a treat for me to see her on the show last night after like, I think it's been something like 10 years since the last time she competed regularly because she's mm -hmm. been like, you know, doing family stuff and running restaurants and, you know, just being off the Food Network. Um, so I think that's it for me. Like, I really just, it was one of those channels that we had when I was growing up. And like, if there was nothing else on, we'd put it on Food Network and see what was going on. So I, yeah, I, I've just always loved food. And it's been kind of a background thing for me for a really long time. Yeah, I joined up with Food Network a little bit late. I mean, my earliest memories of Food Network were watching Bobby Flay cameo on Eddie Mil Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off on the Disney Channel. Oh, wow. And being really into Bobby Flay for a hot second. Uh, but my girlfriend loves Food Network. And so when we got together and needed something to put on TV, it was just triple G. I shouldn't say she loves Food Network. She loves Guy Fieri. And so <laughs> through Guy Fieri, I was distilled the rest of Food Network. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear other people who um, like Guy Fieri. And I think actually that in this current era of Food Network, Guy Fieri is synonymous. Like that's one of the things yeah. when I put down my notes for this episode, I had a, an excited to be here section. And then my my bullet point was Guy Fieri as the true talent incubator of food TV, Y slash N. Um, and I just, I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, he's definitely, I am um, a little while ago, I was having a conversation with someone about the idea of gastro diplomacy. So like culinary ambassadorship, you know, yeah. and uh, Guy Fieri really is kind of the modern culinary ambassador, especially for like, 
North America, you know? Yeah, I totally think so. And my my friend Leslie uh, is a very, very smart like observer of reality TV um, and said this to me several years ago. I haven't been able to get it out of my head, but like uh, Guys Grocery Games is truly the like the talent feeder and incubator and like the, you know, discovery team of so many of the chefs that we see, not just in ter- uh, Tournament of Champions, but like across Food Network. It's better than Food Network reality, you know, the next Food Network star at finding Food Network stars. Like it's it's truly amazing. It's kind of wild because that's where Guy got his start, right? I yeah, know. Guy Guy started on uh, Next Food Network Star, and then Triple D is just as much of an incubator as Grocery Games is, uh, totally. because both Jet Tila and Aaron May, who were on Tournament of Champions this week, met Guy for the first time on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I can't conceive of that. It seems I, I got into the culinary empire of Guy Fieri backwards, where I started with Triple G, and now I'm kind of d- dabbling in Triple D. Um, but it's just, I, I love it. Like, I think I think he is such a, um, an, a, like, the more you study him, the more he gives. And I'm just, I'm I'm so into it. I love it. There's a there's a part of me that like so Matt and I haven't come up with like an actual name for this miniseries yet, um, and there's a part of me that always in the back of my mind has been like, wouldn't it be fun to have a show called The Fieri Guys? But I just struggle with that because I don't super identify as a guy, but I'm like maybe the joke is worth it. I I don't know. I think it has to be a three letter play, so like triple mm. P or something like podcasters, blah 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 blah. If we can get a consistent third that checks the right boxes on both pronouns and sexual preferences we can be guys guys and gays which is not terrible i do like that i do like that i'm a little gay so we need we need somebody who is both identifies as a guy and as a gay and then we can be guys guys and gays i think we can make that happen fantastic it's so good speaking of guys guys and gays i don't know what this segue is but let's get into the show of course we are this is actually a terrible segue. It is not a terrible segue because I keep forgetting that Kat Cora has a wife. And every time I remember, I'm just like, yes, one of us. Women loving women. Kat Cora. <laughs> That's six right. kids. Incredible. I forgot about that, too. There we go. So it's not a terrible segue. Um, so our first round matchup uh, from last night's show is the legendary Kat Cora, one of the original Iron Chefs who uh, took a break from competing and came back to compete last night uh, in what was an absolutely incredible matchup against Michael Voltaggio, famously the chef that Matt and I think has the biggest I cook to not do drugs energy out of anybody in the world. Uh, A culinary wizard who comes into the kitchen, sees things on the list and goes, how can I make a new food out of this? For the randomizer challenge for this one, they were given halibut, eggplant, the Deli Slicer, Blackened, and 35 Minutes. Uh, Amanda, what would you have done with that randomizer challenge? I was thinking like a kind of charred eggplant, tomato, squash, like summer vegetable gumbo style. Like I'm not exactly sure of the consistency, but just some kind of, you know, kind of Mediterranean, like very, you know, spice, lots of herbs, um, lots of kind of blackening flavor uh, on the bottom. And then like the the kind of, I guess, more straightforward uh, blackened uh, halibut on top and the deli slicer could slice all those veggies very efficiently. Nice. I like that. How about you, Matt? Uh, yeah, so I went a little bit more of a Cajun route and was thinking like a blackened halibut uh, with a sliced and steamed vegetable slaw on like a roll uh, and okay. do effectively a halibut po'boy, which I think this might be the third week in a row that I brought po'boys to this podcast, <laughs> but I really like po'boys, so no regrets. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, also... you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah. I think it's also a much better sandwich vehicle to riff on than a banh mi, which I think is what so many chefs go to in these competitions. And then it's like, if it's not pate and white bread and like a very specific ratio of stuff, which is not even the way that you necessarily make like a generic sandwich ratio, like it's its, its own genre, then the judges are always like, this is not a banh mi. What are yeah. you doing? Exactly. Yeah, I always feel like like the place where people are most likely to lose points in these judging rounds is when they give a specific name to the kind of food that they're making and they're like Amanda Fry rather tag. than calling oh, yeah. it a sandwich they call it a banh mi and then they get screwed on it and it's like you could have just called this a sandwich and they would not have pinged you for it i would have done <laughs> i think we all agree with halibut and blackened in the same challenge you're gonna make a, a blackened halibut um i yeah so i would have done a cajun blackened halibut uh deli slice the eggplant and used it to make a ratatouille nice. as the base uh so i'd put the ratatouille on the bottom kind of stacked up a little bit and then have the halibut sitting on top of that because i think that that's kind of a fun i like the idea of a dish that like 
is tall, you know, uh, while not being like too many things. And I feel like Ratatouille is really good for that. I love that. Um, so of course we had Michael Voltaggio who did a pureed eggplant rolled up in longer strips of eggplant, uh, a butternut squash barbecue glaze on his blackened halibut that he blackened with nori as well. Uh, and then Kat Cora did, <laughs> sorry, my toddler is laughing in the background. Pig laughs. <laughs> wow. Uh, something something funny is going on out there. Uh, and then of course we had Kat Cora who did the Cajun blackened halibut with caper and cherry tomato sauce. Caper and cherry tomato sauce. There we go. It's like, wait a second. That's not right. Uh, tempura fried eggplant, chimichurri, and a simple fennel and apple slaw on top at the end, uh, which uh, honestly, between the two, that's the one that sounded more appealing to me. Um, yeah. But in a kind of shocking turn of events, uh, Michael Voltaggio pulled out a 95 over Kat Cora's 90. And uh, I screamed. I think at that point I texted Matt and was like, holy shit. What did I say this time? I, it was something like that, but I watched it late. So I was like two and a half hours behind you. So I saw you <laughs> message me and immediately like buried my phone in my pocket. Like, no, Tom, don't spoil this for me, please. That was, I think, I think at some point Guy described it as like the biggest upset of the night or something. But I just like, I was floored because I, I really didn't know who I wanted to win that one because I love them both a lot. But I really thought Kat Cora had it. And then Michael just like knocked it out of the park with a dish that Marcus Samuelson described as the closest thing to perfection that he's ever eaten. Yeah, it was it was surprising, um, I think, when you look at it on paper. But I know that we talked about in the judges' comments how that kind of signals where the the matchup is going. I like to look at the edit and, like, the talking head uh, reflection portions. And, like, listen, this is me, like, reading a children's detective novel and being like, I'm so smart, I come up with the ending. Like, they're trying to foretell something <laughs> with the edit. But I knew from the moment that Michael was like, oh, yeah, I thought it was going home, you know, that that's, uh, that's setting up for a Michael victory. But right. I thought this was a really fascinating experience example of like uh, old food network and kind of older food um, uh, judgment criteria versus the new because when Kat talked about the fact that she did a world dish and then I think it was Nancy on the judging panel who was like oh no Nancy wasn't there it was um it was Marcus Marcus was the one who said it doesn't come together as a dish oh yes thank mm. you and and Kat is there being like it's a world dish and I'm like Kat Cora that's not what they're looking for anymore like it's mm -hmm. not a, a fusion situation yeah as soon as that happened I wrote down a note for myself that said a global dish is a phrase that would have killed back in 2010 the last time she competed but it's just that's not but what people want anymore, you know? Yeah. And right. that's not a burn. You know, like I, I know how hard, or I don't know personally, but it's very hard to come back into a workforce after taking time to be a mom or not to be on TV, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a different, um, it's a different judging criteria. And separately, this is also a complete side note, but did you guys also notice that they have never said the words Top Chef on Food Network until about a year ago, right around the Tournament of Champions number one? I did notice that. And that was like a weird, you know, everybody's resume got read off at the beginning of whatever competition show they did. And Top Chef was not on anyone's resume until about a year ago. Yeah. Huh. They, they used to say like other cooking competitions. And now they say <laughs> the words Top Chef. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if it's setting up like a merger between Bravo and, uh, and Discovery. But um, I think it's really fascinating. Um, this kind of like blending of, of talent mills from like Tiffany and Michael and all kinds of other people who have come up through Top Chef and kind of crossed over. Yeah, that is really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Is, is Top Chef not a uh, Food Network property? Is that why? It's From not. Bravo. It's Bravo. Okay. Because I know, I know Food Network Canada does air it, but I wasn't sure if that was, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Is, is Bravo a Discovery Network property? It is not. But if Bravo is a Discovery Network property and it's all under the same umbrella, then mm. I suppose it's possible. Or maybe Bravo is being acquired by Discovery Network? I'm Googling maybe. it. Yeah, no. Um, wait, it's NBC owned Discovery? It's so hard to tell. NBC owns Bravo, certainly. NBC does not own Discovery because Discovery is an independent network. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, Maybe NBC they just got over it Bravo. and decided not to beef with each other anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Or like, did guy, is Guy Fieri the, the diplomat we've been looking for? And did he personally bridge the gap? Like, that's where Brooke comes from. Yeah. I, I mean, you know? it must be, right? Maybe it's just the Tournament of Champions. Like, when Guy was putting it together, he said, forget it. I do not care where these people are from as long as they're incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's nobody at Food Network who can say no to Guy Fieri. 
Like, yeah. there's not a single person left at this point who has the power to say no if Guy Fieri says, this is what I want to do. Yeah. yeah. In the, this is the only room where this joke will work, but like in the way that uh, the McElroys are synonymous with Maximum Fun, like Guy Fieri is synonymous with Food Network. Like they, they cannot exist without the other, you know? It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only person left who's allowed to say no to Guy Fieri about things is Bobby Flay. And those things are just want to hang out. I, <laughs> Tournament of Champions 3, it's going to happen. We're going <laughs> to get Bobby Flay and Guy Fieri in the same room. My dreams will come true. Um, so, of course, uh, that means that in the next round of the tournament, we're going to have Jet, uh, we're going to have Brooke Williamson up against Michael Voltaggio, which, uh, oh, my fucking God, <laughs> that's going to be a fun. A real Top Chef rematch up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and didn't, didn't It's the she first tournament of champions rematch, too. Yeah, you were about to yeah. say it, Tom, but uh, she knocked him out in the first round last year. I love it. I think that's going to be such a fun one to watch. I, uh, I think Michael... Michael wants blood this year. There's yeah. there's not a lot of them who like you see it in their eyes that they want to like destroy everybody this year, but I think that Michael Voltaggio, Darnell Ferguson and Antonio Lafaso both like all three of them have like bloodlust this year and I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, Darnell has very much like uh knows like he has enough wins under his belt that like he knows this is within reach for him and he's not like being pigeonholed as like the the newbie um as he was last year but and i love antonia so much every time she's on television she is like i want to fucking win do you understand me like i came here to win and it it's like it's as if she thinks she has to communicate this for the first time again every time and it's so wholesome i love it Absolutely. Um, well, let's uh, find out who's going to be up against Antonia in the next round. Amanda, do you want to tell us about matchup number two? Yes, I would love to. This is Jet Tila and Aaron May, uh, two of the, the luminaries and favorite um, personalities of Triple G. Uh, but per Matt's very astute comment, uh, origins of, of the Triple D circuit and a true, I think, Guy Fieri uh, creation. Um, and they're just both fantastic. I love them both so much. My family's very tall. And every time I see Aaron May, I'm like, that's a tall man. Um, and they're just like, they're both so pleasant. And I think Jet a little bit less than Aaron, but Aaron always shows up and he's like, happy to be here, man. Like, happy to compete, you know? Like, just, just trying the best. Him and Eric Greenspan, I feel it would be the best kind of, like, podcast host or, like, buddy cop duo. Anyway, I think they're both great. Um, and the randomizer gave them Beef Chuck, Bell Pepper, Spice Grinder, Boozy, 45 minutes. Where did you guys go? When I heard Beef Chuck, I also, my brain went straight to the pressure cooker um, yeah. to do sort of, like, a shredded beef situation. Hmm. But... When I hear boozy and beef, my first thought is like a whiskey barbecue. Uh, and so I was thinking like a pressure cooked shredded beef mixed in with like a whiskey barbecue. Uh, and then this is, this is probably a sin and would have gotten me kicked off Food Network, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I would have like tempura fried the bell peppers and then made a really thick beer cheese for those fried bell peppers. And I would have done like a whiskey barbecue platter with beer cheese bell peppers, um, which is something that I would eat and everyone else at the table would be like, that's disgusting. Please don't ride home with us. But I would eat it anyway. Uh, and that's what I went with with that randomizer. Oh, wow. No, that sounds incredible. I think Guy Fieri would be really into that. I went, honestly, not in a super different direction, but a little different. Um, when I hear Chuck, I I don't want to put in the time to make Chuck you know, as like a roast, uh, the, the pressure cooker is smart, but I always forget that those exist because I don't have one at home. Uh, so my brain went straight to grinding the chuck into like a ground beef kind of situation. Cause that nice. is the like other place where you find chuck most of the time uh, and making it into a burger. Um, and then I was thinking about the booziness of it. And I was like, I would love to emulate a cocktail in the form of a burger somehow. So where I went with that was taking the ground chuck, making a whiskey maple barbecue sauce to go on top nice. of it um also i'm canadian uh so there's <laughs> got to be some maple in there um and then using the spice grinder to make a homemade montreal steak spice blend to rub on the beef and then i would roast the bell peppers and quick pickle them in lemon juice uh so that you're kind of eating like a whiskey sour as a burger um throw some bacon and aged cheddar on there because it's you know, a burger. And then uh, because it's kind of cocktail themed, I would stick a little toothpick in the top of it, but I wouldn't put anything on the toothpick because you don't put like an olive in a whiskey sour, but I just like the the visual of the toothpick. Brilliant. You guys are both very good at this. You're very good at coming up with dishes. <laughs> what would you have done? I went in like a, 
uh, beer beef chili direction. I thought it was so smart that Jet kind of harvested the less uh, sinewy parts of the chuck. Um, and I would try to do the same thing, take advantage of that pressure cooker um, and just, yeah, just like build flavor for 40, for 45 minutes. I feel like it's such a, a gift to have that much time. Um, and so I think that's kind of where I would have gone. And um, I think certainly bell peppers could go in it. I make chili with bell peppers all the time. Um, and then I think as my side, I would have done, I'm lactose intolerant, so I don't know a ton about mac and cheese. It sounds like that would be a good fit, but also a cornbread. That's very easy to do um, in that time and do some kind of like compound butter, like, like a maple butter or something like that um, to kind of complement it. Yeah, I love that. Tom, I have a question for you and you specifically. Um, for all of us Southerners down here in America, um, so Ruffles sells these things called all-dressed chips sure, um, yeah. that are really just like chips with a Canadian flag on them. Is that, when you say Montreal Spice Blend, is that that Spice Blend? <laughs> uh, no. So Montreal Steak Spice, let me look up the actual uh, list of ingredients just to be sure that I'm not saying anything, you know, super wrong here. But Montreal Steak Spice is um, a blend. It's a spice mix that is, like, from here and gets put on, you know, a lot of meats here. Uh, but it's very specifically based on the dry rub that's used to make smoked meat, which is a very Montreal thing. It's, it's a little like pastrami, but, like, don't don't say that it's pastrami. They are different, <laughs> but it's like a similar concept. Um, and actually, uh, my buddy Andy Sherman, who's one of my co-hosts on Natural Toonie, his great uncle, I want to say, uh, Morris the Shadow Sherman was the guy who invented Steak Spice. So Montreal Steak Spice is garlic, coriander, black pepper, cayenne, dill, and salt. Okay. Uh, it varies, obviously, from like one you know manufacturer to another, but that's kind of the like the gist of it um it's not the same as all just chips all just chips i think are mostly just like vinegar and like tomato something yeah they definitely i would not call them like dense in flavor but i don't know what they are because they yeah. don't describe them on the bag they're just like hey these chips they're canadian try them i'm seeing on wikipedia that it's like a flavor combination of salt and vinegar sour cream and onion barbecue and ketchup might sound gross to Americans who don't know about this flavor combination, um, but my partner Eric went to summer camp in Canada his whole life, um, and so we are a pro all dressed household. And it really is like it's kind of an unholy combo in that you hear it read out and you're like, surely that won't work. But it's like the everything bagel of chips, like all the flavors come together, and you're like, yes, I don't have to choose between onion and uh, poppy seed. I can get them all in the same place. Yeah, the thing with all dressed is like as a flavor it's not as dramatic as it could be. Like it, it really, to me, just feels like if you like salt and vinegar chips, these are like that, but the vinegar is a little toned down and there's some extra like like spice notes to it. Well, I learned more about all dressed today than I ever have, so that's cool. <laughs> so Jet Tila did a drunken Szechuan beef with bell pepper fried rice and a basil garnish, which uh, Marcus said didn't have enough of the Szechuan mala or numbing feeling to it. Uh, and Jonathan Waxman said he didn't get the basil. And Aaron May did a beer-braised vaca frita with pineapple beer as a tenderizer, uh, pat uh, patatas bravas, rum-glazed bell peppers, um, which Waxman said was not boozy enough, and Jada did not like the beef. That was a hard That was a hard comment from Jada, which is just like, this is hard to eat. I was like, oh, damn. I loved yeah. that pineapple beer trick. I thought it was so smart. I love that the kind of double tenderizing. Um, and I just like, I, I ache for Aaron. Like, I'm so... I'm so upset for him that it didn't come out the way he wanted. Yeah, it, it bums me out because I feel like his his dish was a little bit more adventurous, but, you know, yeah. he didn't cook his protein well, and that's, you know, a problem. Yeah, I was not surprised either when Waxman said it wasn't boozy enough. Um, <laughs> when he really only went with the beer, I, I was surprised that he didn't add more of that in there anywhere, do like a, a vodka sauce for the creamy bell pepper sauce or anything. I was... I was very surprised. So I, Giada saying the beef was hard to eat caught me off guard, but Waxman saying it wasn't boozy enough was not surprising. Yeah. yeah bell peppers are so assertive in their own right that I feel like, and they're so, they're so juicy also that I feel like glazing them is just not a, not a good strategy. I do want to talk for a brief minute about Jet Tila's egg fried rice. I'd never no. seen that before. And that was an incredible way to do fried rice. It was so smart. I am stunned that, I mean, he's cooked fried rice on like Triple G before, but the fact that he pulled out like full fried rice from uncooked rice in 45 <laughs> minutes is uh, wizardry. 
And I hadn't heard until Sola El Whaley posted a recipe for wings using baking soda to help like dry out and kind of bubbleize the, <laughs> as a very scientific term, the skin of the chicken wing. I never heard of that as kind of like a meat preparation device. And I loved seeing Jet put that to use here. Yeah, that was totally yeah. new for me as well. Yeah, no, I thought he, uh, that's the thing. I'm, I'm frustrated because I, I don't, I don't love Jet Tila. I've, I've said in the past, I don't love Jet Tila. I love Aaron May. I would have loved to have seen Aaron May go forward, but I do think Jet played a better game this week. Yeah, um, I, would ag- I would agree with that. Yeah, I concur with your comments that he's a cop. I don't think he stands a ghost of a chance against Antonia next week, so <laughs> I'm not too, you know, hung up about it. I also don't think Aaron May would have stood a chance against Antonia, honestly. No way. No way. I think to both of their credit, though, they're like, it's nice to be included, man. <laughs> like, it's, it's an honor to be seated, you know what I mean? <laughs> here for a good time not for a long time we know it's going to be an all top chef battle at the top you know like it's just it's how it's going to be this episode of up for discussion is brought to you in part by an anonymous donation on behalf of welcome hall mission welcome hall mission was established in 1892 and it's the largest doorway to help montrealers in need tons of programs are available to support homeless people young single mothers families and at-risk youth They provide hope through concrete actions and effective solutions. If you're someone in Montreal who's in need, please check them out. And if you're not, but you want to help them out with something, go to their website at the link in the description below and learn about the ways that you can support the Welcome Hall mission. Morning voice. Morning voice. I'm recording in the morning. It's a morning voice. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review I get during the month of March, I'm donating $2 to The Depot, my local food bank here in Montreal. They can turn every $1 into $3, which means that your free rating and review does $6 of good for a family in need. That means you turn zero into six. It's the only time that you can multiply something by zero and have it actually turn into a number. Think about that for a minute. You're breaking math. Break the math. Leave a rating and review and read all about The Depot in the description below. I also wanted to let you know that our network is in the middle of a massive fundraising campaign over on Indiegogo. At the time of recording, we've raised just over $3,300, which is a hard number for me to say because I have a lisp. We've surpassed our original goal, and now we can move on to our first stretch goal, where, if we can raise $5,000, we'll be able to donate a full recording setup to two local youth centers here in NDG. I'm really excited to say that we're partnering with the Walkley Center and the St. Raymond Center, two fantastic community organizations to help them create space for the young people in our area to make their voices heard. So if you are passionate about youth being able to get into online media and tell their stories and put their thoughts and feelings out into the universe, please consider supporting our fundraiser. It is really, really a project that's been on my heart for a super long time, and it would really, really be awesome if you helped us out with it. There's a lot of awesome perks in it for you as well, so even if you don't super duper care about the cause, but you like getting perks, there are a lot of them available to donors. And if money is tight, we also have a really great referral contest going on where you can win over $200 in perks just by getting your friends to donate on your behalf. And honestly, at the time of recording, not a lot of people have taken advantage of that yet, so you'd really only have to get a couple of friends to donate in order to win all those perks, which like takes like maybe half an hour of like dedicated messaging your friends' time. And if you want help, figuring out how to get your referral link or need some scripts of things that you can say to your friends to get them to donate, you know how to reach me. I'm happy to help you out with that because I really want us to succeed at this fundraiser. Okay, back to the show. Well, I think that moves us on to our third matchup of the night, uh, which was Amanda Freitag versus Tiffany Faison, which is number one in the East and number eight in the East. And the randomizer gave them probably the worst randomizer in tournament of champions so history hard. muscles cabbage the air fryer grilled and 45 minutes so i'm really curious to see where y'all would go with that randomizer so i'm from long island new york uh which is a, a bg peninsula extending east of new york city and progressively as you get further east trying to distance itself from new york city more and more and more um at the very tip of the island there is montauk the hamptons these places you've heard about but my favorite thing to do as a kid for my birthday in february would be to drive out there in the dead of winter and go to seafood shacks and get you know a lobster roll or whatever um was there on offer so i was gonna go with a kind of like i think air fried mussels um a kind of like cabbage coleslaw situation 
and a ton of celery seed. I love putting that into um, into like mayo-based slaws. And I was going to do, obviously, grill the bread. And then depending on, I've never cooked mussels before. Maybe I could have just like steamed them or something. But the air fryer, I thought onion rings would be a good accompaniment. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. I uh, I don't have a ton of experience with mussels, honestly. I think I've eaten them like twice in my life. Um, and once was in the past like year and a half. Well, maybe not. COVID's been going on for a long time. One of them was like, you know, not long before COVID at a local place. And like, I don't know that I ate them at all before that. So like, really, I maybe have only eaten mussels once. Um, but my instinct here was to do a classic moule frite. So like mussels, you know, steamed in white wine, shallots and butter, and then uh, use the air fryer to make French fries, um, sprinkle nice. parm on those because that's kind of a nice like accompaniment for the uh, the traditional moule frite. And then uh, I would grill the cabbage and do a slaw with it. I wasn't feeling particularly adventurous on this one, but I was like, I I think I can make a good meal out of this, you know? Yeah. Uh, In my notes, I wrote down seven question marks. Um, Seven (laughs) question marks, because I did not know what in the world to do with these things. Um, I don't eat mussels. I don't like mussels. Um, Amanda, I'm really glad that you said you would air fry mussels, because I also wrote down air fried mussels. And as I was writing it down, I was like, I'm not sure that you can do this with mussels, but that's what I would do. Um, So I went with air fried mussels and then I had this idea of like, I think I would grill the onion and then make a grilled onion sauce and then fill the mussel shells with the sauce and put the air fried or the air fried mussel back in the sauced shell. And I also would have made like oysters on the half. I love that. Yeah. And then I would have also made like a spicy cabbage slaw because like cabbage slaw, what else do you do? It was a yeah. hard matchup. It really was. And I know every, like both Amanda and Tiffany on their faces were kind of like, fuck. Um, and <laughs> I, I don't know, what did you guys expect of Tiffany going into this? Because I feel like the 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 um, kind of play in first episode, uh, everybody was just trying their best to like survive. And that was kind of the vibe that I got from the edit. And in watching Tiffany compete on Top Chef in the past too, like A, she's been off competition for a long time and has been primarily judging um, on Chopped, at least that I've seen. Uh, And B, I feel like in Top Chef, you often get kind of tanked by teammates or by circumstance or by like, a you know, just the way the judging fell out if somebody else had immunity, whatever. So I feel like I don't have a good sense of like Tiffany's ability as a chef. Whereas Amanda Freitag, I've seen cook hundreds of times endlessly on like Next Iron Chef on Chopped Judge competitions, like all over the place. So what do you guys think going into it? Yeah, I don't know that I had specific expectations of her going into this one, honestly. I, uh, I had not heard of her until the play-in rounds so my perception of her was really just that like she is someone who is going to hustle really really hard to (laughs) get through it and that like she she strikes me as somebody who wants to win no matter what and wants to consider every element of what she's doing and I I think that yeah I don't know I, I expected something bold I expected something intense uh and I expected something that like was not missing anything you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely recognize Tiffany mostly as a judge from Chopped, um, but one of the zillion streaming services that we have has episodes of Chopped After Dark, uh, which is oh, basically yeah. like post-recording, the judges get drunk and make a thing, and so I've seen her cook on there a few times, but sort of my my impression of Tiffany from the play-in round was just like you said, Tom, that she was really intense she was ready to, you know, prioritize every ingredient they gave her, really make sure that she played the game. And as much as I really like and really respect Amanda Freitag, I've always thought that her competition cooking is a little on the boring side. Um, I mean, she executes things excellently well, but Amanda Freitag is not somebody who I think of like Michael Voltaggio, who can take a basket of terrible unrelated ingredients and come up with something really creative and impressive with them uh and so this was the upset that i called from the very beginning in my bracket and i was pretty pretty stoked last night to have nailed the upset that tiffany managed to knock out amanda here in the first round Uh, but let's talk a little bit about what they both made so amanda brought to the table uh like a steamed mussel coconut curry um, and also red potato chips, which I thought was a really interesting add. I, I don't think of curry and potato chips being something that I eat together. Uh, and then Tiffany brought out a, I think it was kimchi jjigae? Jjigae? Kimchi jjigae? 
Jige. All right, cool. There's uh, Tom. There's Teffer's word of the week that I don't know what it is. So <laughs> I learned a new thing, uh, and she had that with muscles. Also, Tiffany Faison took a blender blender mix to the face in this episode, and I think that's important to note. That can cause a real burn. I really loved her reaction in that moment. She really, she like stopped for a second, took it in, and then as soon as Guy was like, are, are you okay? She was like, yeah, yeah it's fine. Just give me a towel and, and moved on. And I thought that was really cool to, to see that like real moment of like, uh, okay. It yeah, humanized can- her, you know? They've been doing this more and more on the shows that I watch on Food Network. Like Chopped, particularly last season, had a kind of experimentation where they, for the edit, for whatever reason, like they would start the shot a few minutes before or like a few seconds before the director called go like they would have some of the setup or some of the camera people um and just kind of more like they like they like zoomed back by five feet so you saw kind of the edges of the set and i love that like i live for that i think it's such a wonderful kind of reward for super fans or whatever or habitual watchers um and i got similar vibes there where guy was like oh no no seriously like do you need something um and tiffany put forward just i thought very like skinned my knee on the sidewalk of new york city and a few people stop and i'm like don't look at me i'm fine and like keep walking like that very much i just i empathize with her extremely much in that situation (laughs) i did also really like uh you know there was this whole thing of what do you do with the air fryer tiffany saying that she had never seen or didn't know how to use an air fryer and amanda basically saying the same amanda went with air fried brussels sprouts and tiffany did air fried chinese sausage that i know there's a name of and i didn't write it down quick enough to remember what it's called um but tiffany's reminded me of the main character of Twitter from like early January of this year, the guy who air fried a hot dog for two hours. I don't know if that's familiar (laughs) to anybody else, but it was this huge Twitter thread about a guy who air fried a hot dog for two straight hours and what it did to that hot dog. And I thought her Chinese sausage bacon bits were very good, but I could not get the image of the air fried and then rehydrated hot dog from Twitter out of my brain. Incredible. I'm not going to ask for citation there because that's unfamiliar to me and I don't want to know. Um, as of this recording, the the boat in the Suez Canal just got unstuck and I feel like I have to mourn that before I take in another meme. <laughs> but yeah, that's a... I- uh, that's lap chong sausage and i think it's really interesting because it really has no spice to it like it's a very kind of sweet and like mild flavor um so i thought that was a really interesting use yeah well and i thought that that was uh, that it being sweet and mild actually i think makes it a really good pair for kimchi jjigae which is like a little bit spicier and is a little bit bolder yeah um which again like i i think that tiffany is someone who like i said i expected boldness from i expected something bold from her and i uh i really appreciated when the judges when it got to the judging round marcus said he loved it he was he was really impressed with everything but he said that the muscles on top felt a little clunky uh, and to me, that felt like I was worried for a minute there, to be honest. I was worried that that was going to be the thing that sent her home. And then Jada said that the flavors were too bold for her. And uh, I really appreciated Jonathan Waxman coming in at that point and saying, well, hang on. Like, I'm going to disagree with you here. Yeah. This is this is amazing. And like, they kind of got to a point where they were like, look, we're going to take this. We're going to think about this dish more in like a couple of hours we're going to think about the food we just ate and that matters and I think that was the moment where I was like I think Tiffany just just pulled this one off but I think there's something really cool about the ability to make a thing that like that gets people thinking about food you know because because it's one thing to make something delicious that everybody's like yep that was delicious it's another to make something that makes people go like oh I hadn't thought about using that in that way but it worked really really well and now I'm going to think about other ways that I can apply that. Yeah, I think Voltaggio is a really good example of this kind of like modernist cooking that is also delicious. Um, I keep thinking about on, on Triple G, he confit avocado and then served like salmon roe under it as a kind of like egg, you know, play. And it was like, it was playful, yes, but it wasn't like annoying and it also tasted delicious and so i think that that is the kind of mark where if it's smart if it's like bold if it's challenging like that's all amazing 
as long as it tastes really good. And I think that that was true for Tiffany. Whereas Amanda, like maybe I'm projecting too much, but often in Chopped, like you succeed by making the thing that tastes the not the worst. Um, and I think her <laughs> thing was like a really lovely family meal. Like it felt very much like going to smash a bunch of things together. It's going to be really tasty, using up stuff in the walk-in. Um, like that was the kind of vibe I got, which is not bad, but I don't think it's what, you know, these kind of high concept judges are going for, with the exception of Giada, who, you know, I see why she kind of fell the way she fell. Yeah. Right. And I really got the impression all through this episode that Marcus was kind of the driving force of uh, the judging, because it seemed like wherever Marcus went, the scores seemed to follow. Um, I also decided this week that Giada is not my favorite Food Network judge because she's scared of too many things. Uh, and when she said, this dish is too bold, I was like, ah, you don't belong here. I like Giada a lot, but this just didn't seem like her competition to judge. And then the other thing that I think is interesting to go back way to the beginning of this episode, Amanda, when you were talking about the bon me versus just call it a sandwich, mm -hmm. they knocked Amanda, uh, Marcus specifically, on her calling it a Thai curry and uh, it not having enough Thai flavor. And I think that was another one of those situations where like, you know, if you just call it a curry, maybe you win that challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very much like menu writing copy where you put, you know, words that make someone buy it, but then they take the menus away. And maybe you don't remember exactly the words that were there, but you get the sense of it and you're very happy with that um, versus on the judgment. Like you tell them what it is. And this is Tom Colicchio on Top Chef's favorite thing to say, where he's like, if you promise me a, you know, uh, remoulade, give me a remoulade. Just call it a sauce if it's not like it's, you know, it's very specific. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Well, and I think that that is something that's true, not only of like cooking competitions, but also of a lot of things in life where specificity can be your enemy sometimes, you know, going into too much detail on something, giving something a name that is too specific can actually really be a detriment. And it's almost worth just being like a little bit vague about things sometimes and just saying like, this is, you know, this is my coconut muscle curry. Just just naming the ingredients of the thing instead of trying to assign it a label, you know? Yeah. What other areas of life are you thinking about? Because a couple jumped to mind for me. So one of the shows that I edit regularly is a young adult lit podcast. And like they have had to have conversations about like, well, like, you know, sometimes young adult books like get categorized as a bunch of other things. Right. And like after a certain point, categorizing things, putting genres on things, it just gets really, really limiting. And like it invites criticism that otherwise doesn't really need to be there. It works with music too, right? Where like, you know, what is, you know, what is alt rock, right? Well, alt rock is just everything that you can't categorize because if you give it any other label, someone is going to get mad at you and yell at you from their basement. Yeah, totally. music and video games are the ones that really come to mind for me too, you know, to, to shout out to Left Trigger, Right Trigger, the podcast that I'm not on. Um, <laughs> they talk a lot about the genres of video games and how, you know, there's there's rogue-like, and now there's rogue-lite, and then there's rogue-ish, <laughs> and like you know, this the more you try and boil down and categorize things, the more lost in definition you start to become, and I think the more you really lose the big picture of what you're actually talking about. Well, on that note, Amanda goes home. Amanda goes home for not making yeah. a tie enough curry. Yeah, which I mean, last year. ICAG got knocked out in the first round by Darnell. And so there is this sort of reoccurring theme of one of the number one seeds being taken out in the first round. And I had a really hard time believing that it was going to be Antonia. So I didn't want to cast that on Amanda Freitag from the beginning. But, you know, to sort of keep that that theme going, I'm not surprised that she was the one who got sent home. And I do really think that Tiffany Faison is a super strong chef and someone who could go far in this tournament and I have her going far in my bracket and I would like to continue to be right. So I hope that she does go far. Um, but I think that she is someone who I'd like to see a lot more of on the food network and really enjoy watching her cook. Have you, have you had any wrong predictions yet in your bracket? Well, I'm not going to say it out loud. <laughs> I don't think so. Right? <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm, okay. I'm perfect so far. Um, which is a drastic improvement. Last year I got, all of the first round wrong. I was out <laughs> almost completely in the first round. So brutal. Uh, we'll see. 
but as of right now, I'm I'm all in it. I'm pretty 50-50, and I'm feeling salty about it. <laughs> all the ones that I got wrong are ones where I went with my heart over my brain. Yeah. I was just going to say, I love everybody for the most part so much that I, I cannot choose. Like, it's the reason I don't name my plans, because I'm already so invested in my plans that if, if one of them died and had a name, like, I would never recover. So I, I'm just like, I'm along for the ride. Thank you, Guy Fieri, for delivering unto me the quarantine content I need. It's getting me through till Top Chef begins uh, later this week. And it's just, I'm just, I'm living, man. Spring's coming. I'm living. <laughs> I feel that they've started uh, they've started airing ads on Food Network Canada for the next season of Firemasters, and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm lost right now outside of Tournament of Champions in the Great Food Truck Race, uh, which this season is in Alaska and has been very fun to watch. Um, so if you're looking for some some B tier Food Network, I can't recommend Great Food <laughs> Truck Race enough. I have watched all of the Triple G archives by now. Uh, it took me about a year, but I, I got through them. So I am indeed looking for my next thing to put on in the background while I answer email. <laughs> there you go. I'd, uh, I'd highly recommend Guy's Ranch Kitchen or uh, Guy's Big Bite if you like the idea of watching Guy Fieri cook at his nice house sometimes with his friends. Yeah. I, I double down on the Guy's Ranch uh, Kitchen recommendation. That show is phenomenal. It's so yeah. good. It's really fun to watch Guy razz them uh, while they can, like, tap back you know what i mean like it's it's great tiffany is going to be up against darnell oh my heart is torn on that one i i think i have darnell in my bracket because i really want darnell to like just blitz through this thing but i i also would be so excited to see tiffany make it but i think from from what i saw in the preview last night next week we have of course the last two first round matchups which are madison cowan and manit shohan and brian voltaggio and christian petroni and then I think we've got Brooke and Michael Voltaggio. I don't know if that one's on next week or if they're going to stick with three battles a week, but that would be well, the next one in the order. Yeah. In the preview, at least, it looked like that was what was happening. Who do you guys want between... Uh, who do you want in those last two spots? Manit or Madison and Brian or Christian? What are you thinking? Christian is far too much like people I went to high school with, so I have a hard time watching him on TV. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go uh, Madison there, and I right is that the right matchup I got? Uh, it's Brian. Oh, sorry, Brian. Yeah. Yep. So I think I'm gonna go Brian there, and then um, I've seen Manit cook a lot. I haven't seen Madison cook as often, so I, I would love to see what he brings to the bracket. Uh, yeah, I am uh, throwing my weight behind Christian Petroni mostly because like I don't know what Brian Voltaggio does. I've never seen Brian Voltaggio before. <laughs> Until they announced that he was going to be on the show, I did not know he existed. Uh, so I, he may be a phenomenal cook, but I have no faith because in my brain, he was manufactured only for this competition to add the drama of, hey, there's another Voltaggio. Did you hear? Listen, you have to watch the Voltaggio Bros season of Top Chef. It is well worth it. It's fascinating. Brian is Michael's older brother, and that's all you have to know. Like everything about him, as speaking as an older sibling myself, is like more diluted, more conservative, and like less edgy. Um, so I, I don't, I don't see him going very far. But you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go behind what I said. <laughs> Right on. I'm I'm super here for the Super Voltaggio brothers. Um, yeah. And then uh, as far as Manit and Madison Cowan goes, I've got Manit. I like Manit a lot. I don't want to you know spoil my bracket, but I have her going pretty far. So I would really like it if Manit got out of the first round and I continued to ride the wave of being good at calling Food Network brackets. I don't know. It's a weird flex. <laughs> hey, I love that you know, you, you got to flex what you got. It's true, man. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm Team Manit for sure. Um, I I really, for me, a thing that I really like is watching chefs who work with color in their dishes. Who yeah. like everything that they plate up is beautiful to look at and like has punchy colors. And I don't think I've ever seen Manit make something that didn't have at least one really bright component and i i just love that i really want to see her do it yeah i'm like manit i didn't know they had adorable little flowers in the chopped kitchen but manit found them like it's amazing yeah <laughs> um and then between brian and christian i think i'm i'm torn because on the one hand i would love to see like i don't think that brian and michael will be the finalists but if they were that would be very fun but I think I want Christian more just because, like, I don't know. I have a big crush on Christian Petroni. I think Christian Petroni is delightful. I would like to see him on everything all the time. I want him to cook while his chickens run around in the kitchen. I want him to, like, yell a bunch of weird shit at Guy while he's cooking. I want him to flirt with the judges when they can't hear him, but he's in the green room, like, flirting at the TV. I just I love Christian Petroni. 
it's it's so he's like he is uh turned up to 12 a bunch of people i knew in high school who were like at 9 and 10 and so it's just like it is it is extremely a lot for me like i believe that that is who and how he is but watching it i'm just like i can't i can't with this anymore (laughs) well i think it's good to have some healthy disagreement but listen guys thank you so very much for having me on the show i really appreciate it thank you so much for being on thank you for emailing us out of nowhere and for your interest in it and uh, anytime you want to hop back on you just let me know maybe maybe we can circle back for one of the uh one of the final episodes i think it'd be fun to to you know come back together again when the bracket is really down to the essentials sounds good to me um do you have anything you want to plug before we let you go uh yeah i run a fantastic collective uh for podcasters called multitude so if you are making a podcast and want some help uh, free resources free consulting if you're a member of an underrepresented group in podcasting all of that can be found at multitude.productions along with some uh very fun shows where we are people being enthusiastic but still critical about stuff we love so i think the the vibe will um will kind of jive if you like the show as well sweet i'll throw an extra pitch behind multitude as well uh for those of you who know me from debate this amanda actually sat down with us like way early on and was pretty instrumental in helping us get our patreon and stuff set up and uh we had her partner eric on an episode a couple of weeks ago and multitude is delightful and i really like everything they do and you should support their stuff Thank you. Yeah, go check it out. I'll put a link in the description of this episode as well for ease of access for everybody. Um, Cool. Well, Amanda, Matt, thank you so much. And uh, I still don't know how to end this one, man. I still don't know how to end this one. Hey, future Tom, you got an outro for us? Oh, baby, you know I do. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you liked it, you can tell us all about it on Twitter and Instagram at DownWithTalking. If you want to help us make the show even better, you can head to Patreon.com slash UpForDiscussion to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Erica, Chantal, and David. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show, and you can, once again, learn all about that at Patreon.com slash UpForDiscussion. We also have merch. You can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at Public, and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by zach ingles and our cover art is by david flam you can find links for both of them as well as links to everything that me and matt and amanda talked about in this episode in the description last but not least the show is produced and edited by me tom zalatni as part of the upford network you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com you understand just takes a little time, it takes a little time, it takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind, we'll take it slow this time. Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.